0: Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 6, and uh, I'm going to share something. I preached a message from this same story a couple weeks back, maybe a month or so ago, but I'm going I'm to preach from the same, same story, but a different message um, that, uh, that I just felt God put on my heart, and uh, I want to give this to you this morning. You ready? Are you awake? You sure? All right. We'll see. John chapter 6, and let's go from verse 5. And Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? I like that Jesus Um invites whenever you see Jesus asking a question like that and we've we've talked about this before but it's his theme going through scripture that I think is great for us to stop sometimes and just be reminded of the relational nature of our God he's asking he's asking a question he never asks a question because he needs an answer he already knows okay so whenever you see Jesus asking a question it's an invitation for us to be involved. And when I look at things like that, it makes me stop for a minute and just in a, in a little moment just stop and say God, I'm so thankful for the relational nature of who you are. That that you would ask that you would ask. I put myself in that. He doesn't need Philip, it's a, Jesus is not doesn't need someone to help him do a miracle. He's pretty good at what he does, and, but he invites. It's this invitation, and I love that. That is the nature of who our God is. That that He wants. He doesn't just want to do things for you. He wants to do things with you. And that's encouraging to me. I get uh, that's it's humbling, isn't it? To think that man, God he he wants to he wants to use me. That's that's what I love about what Sean was talking about when, when he was leading that song we sang earlier, that what God wants to do in and through our life is is so far beyond the four walls of this church. Do you know that God wants to use you to impact your workplace? Do you wake up tomorrow and see that as an opportunity that there's this invitation? It's almost like God saying, hey, what do you wanna do today? You wanna do something today? You wanna change someone's life today? You wanna step out in obedience and watch me do something through you? You want me to use you to encourage someone today, to bless someone today? Some of you, you take yourself out of the equation of what God wants to do. He wants to use you. And this is what happens in this story. He says he says to uh he says to Philip, what are we going to do? And, and, and Philip, poor Phil, he fails a test. And, uh, and, and, and John recorded it. John calls him out and John records it, writes it down. But he said, he said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. 200 denarii is about $85. And uh, you, would, you would receive one denarii for a day's work. And, and so it's a significant amount of, of money that he's talking about, you know, about a, a third, two-thirds of a year's wage. It's not sufficient enough for them that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. And there was much grass in the place. so the men sat down in number about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. I want to, uh, I want to just share from this story. Um, a little thought in keeping with this series that we're in, Acres of Diamonds, and the thought I want to want to just share from this morning for us is: is work what you've got, work what you've got. This um, this this uh, phrase jumped out at me when they found the lad, and they said, "We've found a lad. He's got loaves and fish, but what is this amongst so many that they're measuring the supply?" And the need that they're looking at the supply that they have and the need that they're believing for and and they're recognizing that that the need is so far beyond the supply how many of you have things in your life where that's what you feel like is it's like the promise is is over here but the but the the future promise you're you're believing for in the current provision that you have, there's a gap. And I think if we were to be real honest, it's, it's, it's that gap that bothers us so much, isn't it? And, and this is where they're at in this story. The problem is with the disciples in this story, they're looking at their supply from a faithless perspective. They're looking down upon what they have. And they're looking up upon what they need. How often do we do that? I do that. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're a little more spiritual than me, but I do that too often. I find myself elevating the things that haven't happened in my life. I find myself looking up to the things that haven't yet happened and looking down upon things that have happened. Maybe, maybe it's just me. I find too often in my life, I devalue what I have. And this is so, it's such a powerful story when it comes to this series, because this is what we're talking about when it comes to acres of diamonds in our life. It's recognizing what we have, but I want to challenge you. It's not just about recognizing you have to work what you've got. And I've said it so many times, but so often what you walk in tomorrow will be launched upon what you're prepared to work today. And and we, and we miss, especially in this society and this world that we live in, where we're so quick to look upon what everybody else has and devalue what we have. I was on a flight yesterday. We're flying out. We're flying back home yesterday. We had some vacation in this last weekend. And so I sat down on this flight last night. And, uh, and so I sit down and and uh, And I sit next to this guy and and he, uh, he, he you know the flight takes off and and so he gets out the, the screen you know he 's going to he wants to watch a movie on the screen and uh, and so I was beside him studying and reading my bible because i 'm so incredibly spiritual and 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 he was reading a movie and, and so and, and i 'm looking at at, uh, at just my notes and stuff and and I watched him because he uh, the screen started and it was all it was all you know there was, it was all scattered the the movies weren 't working on the and he was so frustrated, you know, and he's pushing it. And, and, and I was looking over at him and, uh, and trying not to laugh, but it was funny. And, and, and he was so, he started getting quite angry. And, and I noticed, what, what, what made me actually laugh was I noticed that he actually had an iPad. He had his own iPad that was in front of the sleeve, you know, where, amongst his stuff that he was, that he was traveling with. And, and if you travel on planes, um, you'll know. Now, if you, have, if you actually have a device that can connect to Wi-Fi, you can actually connect to the airplane's Wi-Fi and you can download the videos direct to your device and watch the videos on your device. So this guy is sitting there. He must have sat there for 30 minutes, Right? Pushing the screen he's calling multiple stewardesses he's looking around everybody else's screens are working right he's every, he's like he's like Ugh. I'm sitting there like bro you you got an iPad he didn't know what he had and then finally i I couldn't help it I couldn't help it. I said, hey, bro and he's so mad at this point he takes his he's like what and i said yeah. I said, You got an iPad, bro? And he said, Yes, I want to watch a movie. I said, I know. If you get your iPad out, you can watch it. So he repeated and said, No, I want to watch a movie. I said, Hey, do your thing. And he leaves his iPad there and he goes back to pushing, pushing the thing. And he's, He's looking around at everybody else. And he's getting frustrated with everybody else, and 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 it started to frustrate me because I was looking at. at I could. Say, I knew what he had, but he was not able to use. He was. Listen. He was missing what he had because he kept looking around. Everybody else was watching on the the device in front of them was watching on their screen. See see, comparison will kill contentment. And, and, and he's looking at everybody else and he's comparing his situation to everybody else, but he's missing in the process of doing that. He's actually missing the potential that he has in his own device to actually do what he wants to do, but he's missing it because he's devaluing what he has. I thought that's how we live so often, isn't it? We, we miss we're missing. What God has called us to. Because we are devaluing what we have right now in our hands. This is what happens in this story. These disciples, they did not bring the lad to Jesus with the fish and with the loaves. Because they saw it as an opportunity for Jesus to do a miracle. That's not what was happening. You read in the story, they say we have a lad and we have loaves. But what is this compared to the need? They use him as an example of what they cannot do. This is too often where we're at in life. We forget, we forget at the power of God to take something that is seemingly small and insignificant and do something supernatural. You look all through Scripture, you take a David, you take a Gideon, you take an Esther, you take a Matthew, a Mark, a Luke, a John, hold the horse while I get on. You take every single one of all of the disciples, all of the people through Scripture. We serve a God who has a history of taking little small things and doing significant things through them so that He would get the glory from it. You have to you have to work what you've got. You've got to see what God has given you. We cannot look down upon what we have. We cannot look down upon our situation, whether it's the money that we maybe have or feel like we don't have in the bank, whether it's the breakthrough that maybe has or hasn't happened in our marriage, whether it's our kids that we're trying to raise. We've got to look at what we have and we have to recognise that God's hand is upon it and He is a supernatural God that takes seemingly insignificant things things and does something great with them, but we have to work what we've got, but we don't too often, we're so busy craving what we don't have, we're so, we get so caught up comparing ourselves, just when you start feeling good about where you're at, you jump on your little social media You start feeling good. You lost seven pounds this year and you start feeling good until you jump on Sally's little Instagram and you see Sally lost 20 pounds what you don't know about Sally, she used 20 filters before she posted that photo. And Sally's actually full of crap. And you're comparing yourself to something that's not true. And you're comparing yourself to Sally and devaluing what's happening in your life. You've got to recognize that God's doing something in your life. And you've got to recognize what you have. It's killing us. It's killing us. I see you all the time too often in our life and we start looking down upon what we have and we start looking down upon what God's doing in our life and we start recognising what God is doing and we look up upon what God is doing in everybody else's life, in everybody else's marriage, in everybody else's kids and you're missing what you have. But Jesus, what the disciples were looking down upon, Jesus took it. I want to give you three quick things that we can learn that Jesus does with something that seems so small and so insignificant. A boy. We, 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 we don't really understand the, 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 the significance of, of this boy because, because society has changed or grown somewhat. But, but children, women and children were, were looked down upon. Remember when the children tried to come to the disciples, to come to Jesus and the disciples stopped? Them? So you have this little boy. It's, he's, he's a boy with loaves and fish. It doesn't get much more insignificant than that in ancient times. And so the disciples use this boy as a, it, it's almost like they're mocking the situation a little bit. Because they say they say to Jesus, what, I mean, what do you want? Like even, even, even 200 denarii, we, we wouldn't be able to feed this crowd. I mean, you got a small boy with a couple loaves and fish. It's almost like a little bit like they're sort of mocking the, the, the situation. They're sort of looking at how hopeless it is. But despite their lack of faith, Jesus still... Starts to do what he wants to do. See, he makes this decision in this situation. He says, if you don't work it, I'll work it for you and demonstrate. Let me demonstrate what I can do. And so Jesus says that he took the loaves. There's another, another version. I think it's, I want to say it's Mark, where it actually says that they, they brought the loaves first thing that, that I want you to write down when it comes to the things, the areas in your life that seem insignificant, I don't know what this will mean to you. Maybe it's the area in your life that hasn't broken through and it seems hopeless. Maybe it's the marriage. Maybe it's the things with the kids. Maybe whatever it is. Maybe it's an area in your life where you look down upon what you have. Maybe it's a gifting. Maybe it's the job you're gonna do tomorrow that you wish was different. The first thing I want you to see is, and I want you to write this down, is you have to bring it. You gotta bring it. It says that the, the version that I said that that I mentioned, it says that they, they, they brought it, even though it was insignificant, they brought it to Jesus. And then it says, Jesus, he took the loaves. So what was insignificant in their hands became significant in God's. The area in your life, That you feel is insignificant. Are you holding on to it or are you bringing it to your God? See, you have to put it in the hands of a supernatural God. As long as you are holding on to it, you will do nothing with it. But once you allow your God, to get his hands on what you see to be insignificant, you serve a God who has the ability to multiply it, stretch it and grow it, but he can only do it when you bring it. We have to bring it to God in faith. See, that's why so many of us, we don't bring it to God because we are devaluing it. And when you devalue it and don't bring it to God, essentially you're saying God cannot do anything with this. Who are we to say what God can do and what God cannot do? I've got enough faith to believe that God will take the most insignificant things, the most broken things, the most messed up things, and when He gets His hand upon it, He can turn it around for the glory of God. But we have to have the faith to believe it and bring it to Him. Do you, do you just get frustrated or bitter or annoyed about it? See, we have to start to wake up in the morning and bring it to God. Say, God, here is this situation. I need you to do a work in it. I'm not gonna, as the word says, be anxious for nothing. I'm not gonna be anxious about it anymore. I'm gonna bring it to you. I'm gonna trust you in it. We've got to let God get more involved more involved in these situations. I love what Paul says, Philippians 4. Put up Philippians 4, I think it's from verse 10. But I rejoiced, I want you to see this. But I rejoiced, this is Paul in prison. But I rejoiced in the Lord, say in. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you care for me your care for me has flourished against again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Speaking of these people, that he, the church he was encouraging at the time. Now that I speak in regard, not that I speak in regard to need, this is Paul in prison, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. The word learned, it means to practice a practice. Paul says, it doesn't matter how bad my situation looks. I'm not going to let my situation determine the focus of my life. Because even though it looks like I'm in prison, I'm really in God. And he says, the fact that I'm in God, allows me to remind myself or gives me the faith, if you like, to remind myself that God's hand is upon my life. I know how to abase and I know how to abound. It means I know how to have lack. I know what it's like to have lack and I know what it's like to be blessed. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can, we know this part, I can do all things Through Christ, who gives me strength, what I want you to see is how much involvement he's saying. I'm in Christ, I get strength through Christ. You see how much involvement Jesus has in Paul's situation, Paul is in prison. But he's not allowing the prison to speak to the situation. He's declaring, even though I'm in a difficult situation, I've brought where I am to my God and I'm not gonna allow the prison to dictate the level of my faith. I'm gonna declare the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God to take what is seemingly small, the breakthrough that has not happened yet, and I'm gonna declare that God is able and I'm gonna continue to bring it to God. We've got to bring it. You've got to bring it to God. The second thing that Jesus does is he gets something that is so small and so insignificant and he blesses it. And he says this, he said, God, I give you thanks. That's what it meant. When you, when you would come and you would, you would bless the food, they'll bless the food, the giving God thanks. You've got to bring it, then you've got to bless it. Which means, which means, Thank God for it. Now that's hard. It's easy to thank God for good things, but what about the crap stuff? Because when I thank God for the stuff that I wish was different, what I'm actually, it takes faith. Does it take faith? Faith. To thank God for good stuff. It takes faith to thank God for the stuff that I wish was different. The stuff that seems so small. The stuff that seems so broken. But when I thank God for it, it's a declaration that I'm going to trust God with it. So when you wake up and you say, God, maybe that marriage is driving you nuts right now and you're asking for God's help that you don't kill your spouse. But when you wake up in the morning and before you start to bicker and get upset and get resentful, you start by saying, God, I thank you for the spouse that you've given me. God, I give you praise for her. I give you praise for him. I want to kill him most of the time, but I'm going to put all of that aside and I'm going to pray you for him you watch the power of God move in that marriage because you are declaring that when I thank God for something I wish was different I really am trusting God with how often do you thank God thanking God giving God thanks for where you are right now Psalms 118 verse 24 this is the day Come on, we used to sing it in Sunday school. This is the day. I know I can't sing, shut up. This is the day that the Lord has made. There you go. Huh? Stop, listen. <laughs> Worship team's about to come out and help you out, listen. This, this is the day. The song doesn't go, tomorrow's the day, next week is the day that the Lord doesn't say that. It sounds silly, but we live like that. Next year is the year because this one is crap and I wish it was different and I wish it was different. I'll wait to praise Him next year because maybe that's when my breakthrough will come again. But right now I'm going to be appeal and be resentful where I am and wait for God next year. No, 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 listen. He says this. Right now, even though I wish it was different, I'm gonna praise God right now. I want it to change. I want it no, nothing to do with it. But this, this right now is the day. I need someone to give God praise. Praise Him. The devil doesn't want you to, but praise Him. The devil wants you to get bitter, but praise Him. Because this is the day that the Lord has made. I will. I will. Watch me rejoice in prison, Paul says. Watch me give praise to God while I'm shackled in prison because this is the day. This is the day. Don't wait. Don't wait for the breakthrough. There's no faith involved in that. But when you start to praise Him, you've got to bring it and then you've got to bless it. Nothing will frustrate the enemy in your life more When you start praising God over things that are seemingly so small and so insignificant, instead of getting bitter about it, instead of saying, God, I can't believe, what what are you doing? Frustrated, angry, resentful. We've got to bring it. God bless it. Then the last thing he does is when they, they bring it to him, And he stands there, he gets his his hands on it. He gets his hands on it. And then he blesses it. He says, thank you, God. Thank you, God. God, I thank you for this. What everybody else has deemed insignificant, I thank you for it. And then he begins to, the Bible says he begins to distribute it, which means he starts to break it starts to break it and as he breaks it see maybe that's why we're not seeing multiplication in our life it's because we're not broken yet and he breaks it and then and he didn't break it once when it's broken once he then he breaks it again and and, and then when they thought it, then he breaks it again and watch, the more it breaks, the more it multiplies. See, we want the birthing without the breaking. But, but, but we, we bring it, we bless it, and then we break it. You've you, you got to allow God to do what he wants to do in and through our life. But so often, it's unfortunate for us because it sucks sometimes, but God builds from brokenness. And, and listen, I wish it was different. I, I, that would be so much easier, wouldn't it? Why you got to break me before you build me? What did Jesus say when he came to the Last Supper? This is my body that is broken. The greatest breakthrough came from the deepest breaking. But we want the breakthrough without the breaking. We want abs and no crunches. Hey, we, this is quick fix. We want biceps and no curls. Listen. You've got to work what you've got. But you've got to bring it, you've got to bless it, then you've got to break it. The problem is, is our society, this is so counterculture because we're all about holding it together, aren't we? Just trying to keep it together. I'm just trying to keep The problem is, is, we, we come with that same mindset to God. I'm just trying to keep it together when God wants the opposite. He wants the openness, the vulnerability. You see, brokenness, it, it, it's a vulnerability. How do you maximize what you have? You allow it to get Broken. So that God can do something powerful with it. He breaks it and He distributes it. And then from that breaking comes the birthing of a miracle. It's interesting to me that this this miracle is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. But it's seemingly... Compared to other miracles, this, one, this is, seems less significant. When you're talking blind eyes opening and people being raised from the dead. But there's a principle. That's why I think what hit all, all of the disciples was, there was a, there's a principle in this that if we can apply it to every area of our life, we'll see God's supernatural hand move in every single area of our life. But it's recognising that the things that are in my life, a little boy with a couple loaves and fish, that is small. You blink, you would have missed this kid. Nothing significant about it. In fact, the only reason we're reading about him is because the disciples brought him forward to make a point as to recognise how great the need was. What are we going to use this little boy? God, what are you going to use this job I got right now? i flipping burgers. You got something great for my life, God? What are you gonna What are you gonna do, God? You're gonna do something great in this marriage. We're at each other every day. God, what are you going to do? You're going to do something with these kids? We don't even know where we're at. We don't even know where they're. What's going on? God, I don't understand it. This seems crazy. God, you're going to do something with my life? I didn't go to college. I haven't studied. I'm not that gifted. I don't know how to run a business. I don't know how to be a dad. I'm like, God, what are you? But if you will get it and bring it to God, Allowing to get his hands on it. He'll do something so significant with it. But we cannot devalue where we are. That's what acres of diamonds is all about. So what have you got? And are you working what you've got? And it's not easy. You know what you do? You just do it one day at a time. Wake up tomorrow and make a decision for 24 hours. I'm going to work this thing. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult, but I'm going to work it. I'm going to work it with what I speak. I'm going to speak life over it. I'm going to work it with how I praise. I'm going to praise God for it. I'm going to work it with prayer. I'm going to pray over it. And then you wake up the next day, you guessed it, and you do it again. Don't worry about tomorrow, the next day, because today's got enough. So you just go one day at a time. Work what you've got.